Mark 14, verses 12 through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day, that day, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the true and living God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, we're back in the gospel of Mark. It's been a little while since we were looking at the earlier portion of chapter 14, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. God's dealings with Old Testament Israel present historical people and events, religious instruction, religious practices, and all of them point sinners to God's promised Savior. These are plain as they are presented, and yet they are imperfect. Imperfect in that they are like a shadow cast in a valley by a towering mountain, beckoning us to look toward that on which the sun's rays are fully shining. These merely are a form of the full reality that we must behold. And that reality is Christ. Jesus says something of this in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And they said to him, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, that is, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus tells us that what we do as the church is a reflection of what he has already foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And he assures us that our going out, going forth, bearing witness for him with the gospel is squarely based in all that the Bible teaches us. Now here in Mark chapter 14, in the passage before us, we find the true meaning of the Old Covenant Passover meal. It's a picture of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It foreshadowed the reality of the true Lamb of God. The one who would fulfill the Old Covenant. And we do that with the sacrifice of His righteous life. The Old Covenant demanding holiness and a perfect holiness, for there is no other. And yet we falling woefully short as we look at that law of God given under the Old Covenant. And we realize we cannot attain to that. And God told us as much. He told Israel as much. And he promised a new covenant. But in the Old Covenant, he gave this Passover meal. And in that Passover meal, a spotless lamb was killed. It was all centered around God's deliverance of Israel from the land of Egypt and their bondage there. But it sets the stage for what would come later. The fullness of all God's redemptive plan that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so even as Jews were to prepare the Passover and partake of that meal, and to look on that and understand what its symbols meant, certainly in light of God delivering them or bringing them salvation out of the land of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land, even as they were to prepare that meal and think on it, even so, Jesus, the reality that is portrayed in the picture of that meal was very literally prepared for us that we might partake of him by faith as we do weekly when we observe the Lord's table. And what I want you to see in this passage is that the preparation we see in the picture portrayed by the Passover meal as it's described by Mark. That points us to the reality of Jesus and Mark tells us as much. So I want you to look at this passage with me this morning and keep those things in mind. If I were to title this 
sermon, I guess I would say it's preparing for Christ. But let's look first at the picture, which is the Passover meal. I think first, however, we should note before we even look at the Passover, just how it is that God shows us in the gospel of Mark, even just that gospel alone, how God is preparing Christ's earthly life and earthly ministry, preparing him to go ultimately to the cross where he makes the sacrifice on our behalf. John the Baptist, you'll remember, appeared to Israel in the wilderness, came with a baptism of repentance, and he came saying that he was the one who was to prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Jesus' baptism and his subsequent temptation in the wilderness prepared him for public ministry. That ministry of preaching the kingdom of God prepared Israel to embrace him as the fulfillment of the old covenant and as the mediator of the new covenant. Our Lord's sinless perfection throughout his life prepared him as the suffering servant of which Isaiah spoke. He is the acceptable atoning sacrifice for sinners. Back in chapter 10 in verse 45, Jesus himself said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in many ways, that is the central verse of the whole gospel of Mark. But Christ's sinless life prepared him to be that servant. God providentially guided his son's Every step in preparing to be the sacrifice in the fullness of time, exactly as God had foreordained in eternity past. And then you'll remember, as we looked last time at the earlier verses of this chapter, Jesus' body was even prepared for burial as Mary brought her very costly perfume in an alabaster flask, broke the flask. And anointed his body from head to toe. So God ordained. And prepared the way for Christ. And he prepares his people to receive Christ. To receive. The Savior. But he did this first with the Passover. A highly symbolic. A highly commemorative meal that the Lord commanded the Jews to keep every year at the same time. It was based upon God's instructions, you'll recall, found in Exodus chapter 12. And this oldest of Jewish festivals was observed at twilight on the 14th day of the first month of their calendar, which would equate to the middle of March or April on our calendar, and thus we celebrate Easter as it is aligned with Passover. The Passover is repeatedly described throughout the Old Testament, repeatedly emphasized by God in several key Old Testament passages like Leviticus 23, Numbers 9, Chronicles chapter 30. 
And interestingly, it marked the very first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was closely associated with Passover. In fact, given or prescribed by God, if you will, at the very same time back in Exodus chapter 12. This was an entire week of eating nothing but, well, flat bread. <laughs> it had no leaven. It had no yeast in it. They didn't have time to prepare bread with yeast on the one hand, but God had said, go through and remove the yeast. And every year when you keep this feast of unleavened bread, you are to go through your dwellings and remove all the yeast. But that began with the Passover meal. And so there were really one unified event, and they were to call to remembrance God's deliverance of his people from bondage. Foreshadowing our own deliverance from bondage, but telling the people of Israel, one is coming who is actually going to bring you true liberation, true freedom, not from sinful men, but from sin itself. The unleavened bread, along with Bitter herbs and the roasted Passover lamb were to be consumed in haste. But the blood of the lamb, as it was prepared for the meal, the lamb's throat would have been slit and the blood drained and that blood was to be taken to the entryway of the house and sprinkled with hyssop on the doorposts and on the lintel above the entryway. Whatever was left of the meat was to be burned with fire. The Israelites were to be ready to leave Egypt at God's command. In haste, if you will. The Lord was clearly portraying his standard of holiness for his people with the absence of leaven. It came to be, leaven came to be known with its, by its permeating nature. Sin is a permeating thing. It affects us to the very core of our being. That's why Jesus tells us the problem's not with your outward actions. The problem is with your heart. It is a moral problem. Sin is. But the Lord was saying, this is my standard of righteousness. My choice of you as my people, my deliverance. is that you might be free of sin. I demand that you be holy. Be holy as I am holy. That often repeated phrase from God in the Old Testament. But they were also to mourn over sin, the bitter herbs they were to consume with the bread and the Passover lamb. That reflected the bitterness of sin, and our mourning over it, our being caused to think about it. And then God emphasized the need for an atoning sacrifice in the Passover lamb or the Paschal lamb. And faith in the salvation of God's promise. All that's wrapped up in this meal. And so they were looking ahead not only to this more immediate deliverance from Egypt, but God is preparing them. Look ahead. Everything I'm going to do with you as a nation 
all the religious ceremony and everything that I'm going to teach you, all of this is boiled down and focused in a pinpoint way on one who is coming. The seed of the woman God promised back in Genesis 3.15 who would crush the serpent's head though he, his heel would be bruised by the serpent. God's pointing them. He's pointing us to Christ who is coming. And having come to Jerusalem very intentionally for that feast, Jesus was fully aware of everything it portrayed about all that he was near to accomplishing. The cross was in view. And when his disciples asked where they were to prepare the Passover meal in verse 12, our Lord described with very uncanny detail the precise location of a large upper room already prepared. They were to go and prepare the meal, but the room was already prepared. Everything was in place. Who did that? God and his providential workings. We don't know all the details. We don't know everything behind the scenes about how all that came to be. But Jesus knew about it, told his disciples about it, and they found it just as he said. And so they made ready, verse 16 tells us, they were all gathered that evening, therefore, in the customary Jewish fashion at a feast where they reclined at table and were eating. And that's the picture that we see. They are feasting, but it is a somber feast. It forces them, at least if they're thinking about it, to think on their sin, their need for atonement, God's gracious, merciful deliverance from sin, all these things. And at this time, only Jesus knows the full significance of what is pictured here. The picture given to us in the Passover meal promised the Savior to come. And now was the time for its fulfillment. But in reality, Jesus had to be made ready, didn't he? Not just in everything that had come to pass to bring him to that moment in God's working. and God's sovereign control of all the events. Many times Jesus could have been arrested. Many times they sought to kill him. Many things could have happened, but it was not his time. Now was his time. Jesus now had to be prepared for the sacrifice. He knew this fully. It was his driving desire. Jesus said in Luke 12, 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is fulfilled. In John 5, 34, he told his disciples, I have food that you do not know about. My food and my drink is to do the will of God to complete that. But the fulfillment of it all, the death of Christ began really when he was betrayed by one of his disciples that brings us to the last half of the passage in verse 18 and following. 
This comes after the contrast between Mary, who anointed Jesus with the fragrant oil from the alabaster flask, and Judas Iscariot, who is also mentioned in the same passage there, who chided her for wasting all that expensive perfume. After all, it could have been sold and used to help feed the poor. But Judas, as we know from the rest of Scripture, cared nothing for the poor. He was the treasurer, and he took from the money bag whatever he pleased, whenever he liked. And he had already made an arrangement to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Really not a whole lot. The price of a slave. And we talked about that last time. But that, there was that contrast. And so we see faith and no faith. We see true belief and only a feigned belief in the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And so we see that the utter betrayal of Christ by Judas is the very thing now that will secure Jesus' crucifixion the very next morning. This one who did not believe at all, though he had everyone else fooled. And in the midst of the Passover meal, the Lord shocks his disciples by saying, One of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. And they began one after the other to say, Lord, is it I? We know from the other Gospels, even Judas said, Lord, is it I? Jesus eventually said to Judas, whatever you do, go out and do it quickly. He already knew of the betrayal. It was not just a suspicion that Jesus had. It was, as he said, truly a predetermined reality. Absolutely necessary in God's redemptive plan and purpose for Christ and for our salvation. That what Jesus would do, who he is and all that he has done, would become ours. And that we can be with him forever and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. Truly Jesus knew it. And he declared one would betray him. And it's evident in the rest of the gospels. Jesus knew all along it was Judas. But he initially says to the, disciple, the disciples. It's one of you. One of you sharing this very important meal of the Passover with me. This very intimate time of worship of God, of thinking on what God will do to deliver us. And so the drama unfolds. In far more detail, the Apostle John in his gospel describes how Jesus identifies Judas, how his betrayal was satanically motivated. The Passover was to be a unified display of faith which made the betrayal all the more damning for Judas and sorrowful for Christ and for his true disciples. As Jesus emphasizes in verse 21, the Son of Man goes just as it is written of him, but woe 
to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. I cannot, well, I can only imagine what it would be like to choose to betray the Son of God. I am thankful I was not that man. Though we all are perfectly capable of betraying him and denying him as Peter did, the difference between Judas and Peter was that the heart of Peter had been born again and he mourned his sin and looked to Christ in faith. Judas, on the other hand, was only remorseful after the fact. So heinous was the treachery of Judas that to have never been born would have been more desirable. Can you imagine that? And so Jesus in John 17, 12 says he is the son of destruction who was destined for that purpose. God did not make Judas do it. He just did not keep Judas from doing it. And so would all of us have done it. But for the grace of God. Jesus was being prepared. The Passover lamb before their very eyes. The spotless lamb of God. Who would take away the sin of the world. As John the Baptist declared. Now. This lamb would proceed to the cross as God foreordained, as God had declared so clearly, even in the Passover meal. I guess we could say that Judas is like the very first nick from the blade of the knife that would have brought death to the Passover lamb. Everything after Judas's betrayal was like the blade being continually brought across the throat of the lamb. I know that's gruesome to think about, but that's the reality. On the cross, the full weight of God's wrath for our sin was laid on his sinless son, the spotless lamb. A bloody sacrifice which that Passover lamb could only dimly picture. But it was the necessary sacrifice for our sins in which the demands of God's law were met. Because it's either holiness or it's death. And you are holy, unleavened to God but not because of yourself. You are unleavened because of Christ, the sinless one who gave his body and shed his blood for you. He bears the curse of death on our behalf to make us holy by our union with him. And you are unified with him. Indeed, your faith is in him. But as Peter would later declare in Acts chapter 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God. He said to the Jews, you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. 
Yet God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Praise the Lord. We don't just have a sacrifice. We have a sacrifice in one who is raised from the dead. And we celebrated that with greater emphasis even last Sunday on Resurrection Day. Every Lord's Day is a commemoration of Christ's resurrection. That's why it's the Lord's Day. But it wasn't possible that death would hold him, yet he had to suffer that death for you and for me. And that is why Jesus' words in Mark 14 are so joyful for us as Christians. These last verses in this passage... Verses 18 through 21. They are precious. We say them, some variation of them, every Sunday as we partake of the Lord's table. This bread. This cup. Jesus uses both the bread and the cup from the Passover meal. And now he institutes the sacrament that will bring assurance to the soul of every believer who understands what it means. And it's such a simple picture. And that's the point. It's not complicated. It's not mystical. It's tangible and it's visible. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can see it. And you can watch one another partake of it. How wonderful. The unleavened bread that he blessed and broke for distribution to the disciples symbolizes his body. That's what he tells us here. This is my body. It's not literally his body as some erroneously teach. But it represents his body. It couldn't have been his body. He was in his body. (laughs) Saying this bread is my body. It represents that. Well, if it's unleavened bread and the lack of leaven means sinlessness, what is this pointing to? His sinless humanity. Why did he even have a body? Because he's God the Son who became a man. Truly God and truly man in one person and yet two natures. Divine and human. So when you eat that bread, this represents Christ and his humanity, his sinless humanity. And I think makes a very good case for using unleavened bread, I might add. But that's not an essential. The cup, likewise, our Lord blessed, and he passed it to them, symbolizing The blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. His blood had specific purpose. That old covenant that God gave to Israel said, obey perfectly or die. The new covenant says, I'll do that for you. God gave the law and he said, you won't keep it. They said, oh, but we will. He said, oh, but you won't. But I'll make a new covenant. And I'll swear By my own self, 
that I will suffer that death for you. And I'll make you holy. God himself came in the person of Christ, gave his sinless humanity and shed his blood, and that blood ratifies or seals this new covenant, guarantees it. Because that covenant says death for sin still. But Jesus said it's my death, not yours. And so when he says, I will abstain from drinking the wine again until he drinks it, in the, drinks it new in the kingdom of God, it likely refers to the consummation of all things in the new heavens and the new earth where only righteousness exists, says 2 Peter chapter 3. That marriage supper of the Lamb, if you will, Revelation 19. When all things are completed, when what I came to accomplish is absolutely and fully consummated when I come again. Then I will feast with you. Then I will partake of the fruit of the vine again in the newness that this salvation brings. Listen, God promised to provide a sinless Savior and He's prepared Him for us to receive by faith. You don't come and actually eat the body and blood of Christ. That troubled a lot of people who were following Jesus when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He didn't mean literally. And many said, that's too hard of a saying. We can't follow him anymore. Jesus said to the disciples, do you also want to leave? They said, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You must mean something more. When you come and eat this bread and drink this cup, you are saying, I believe Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God come to give His life for me on the cross. And by faith in Him and Him alone, I have eternal life. By faith we partake of Christ. You, you feed on Him. You are, because you are reminded. Your faith is bolstered. It is encouraged. You're reminded of your sin and your great need for this Savior. And so you mourn and repent your sin and look to Christ. And so when you come this morning, don't say, well, I have things I've not fully dealt with. I can't come and partake of this. Listen, if you're a baptized believer. And you profess your faith publicly in Christ and you're a, part, you're a member of a congregation that allows you to this table based on that, then you come. And you come and you partake, confessing your sins and looking to Christ in faith. This sustains you. This feeds you in your faith. In that way, you feed on Christ. You appropriate. You take to yourself His righteousness that you lack and His death for your unrighteousness, so that you can be reconciled to God. And in that, you partake of his resurrection because you are fully vested in him. Paul tells us that we are really unleavened in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. You are 
really unleavened, and Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And in the context of that passage, what he is talking about is sin in the church. He's saying there's these things going on, and the Corinthians had all kinds of problems, as you know. And he's saying, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin affects everyone. It's, it's not good, and it's not in keeping with who you are in Christ. And he'll later talk with them in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians about the Passover and how they're not observing it properly, and they're not considering what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. They were acting selfishly and sinfully. But here earlier on in chapter 5, Jesus says to them, listen, take seriously how you are to live. Love one another because you really are sinless in Christ. That's not what you see as you go through daily life in this world. You struggle with it, but you really are in him sinless, forgiven and right with God, if indeed your faith is in Christ, because he is your Passover lamb, and he has been sacrificed for you. Beautiful, beautiful imagery. Paul goes on to say in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, that we are to celebrate the festival that is Christ our Lord. He is the festival. He is the source of this festive joy. He is the one in whom you are partaking. And you're to celebrate that festival with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What's he saying? Just go from here this morning, remembering that you're the sinner God says you are. Christ is the Savior God says that he is. And now go out and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in particular, with greater emphasis even, love your fellow believers. Love those in your household. Love those who are around you today. Celebrate this feast of Christ with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because in Jesus, you have forgiveness and reconciliation. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, it is amazing that you would care for us at all. But what, what wonderful love you have shown us and that you've given your only son. You have so loved the world that you gave your only son a sacrifice for the sins of all who will look to him in faith. And how beautiful is the imagery of Passover, but how much more glorious is the imagery we have before us at the Lord's table. That we can come, partake of this bread and this cup, and be reminded anew of all that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.